My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Eating disorders are a daily struggle for an estimated 10 million females and 1 million males in the United States. They also affect many people in the trans community. Four out of 10 people either have personally experienced one or know someone who has. The diseases are common, serious, and often life-threatening, but they are also surmountable. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I am happy and honored to be exploring this topic with two very special guests today. Later in the show, Dr. Megan and I are going to respond to a listener who is currently struggling with bulimia and is kind of realizing how it's affecting her sex life. But first, I'm pleased to introduce you to Ty Riviera Handley, a personal trainer, yoga Pilates therapist, sports model, and correspondence in the discourse of nutrition, body aesthetics, and neuromuscular therapy. Welcome, Ty. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. You know, so many people, I think, have this impression that eating disorders primarily or only affect girls and young women, which I know is far from the case. And I love that you reached out to me and and said, you know, I want to talk about this. And I'm curious if you would share, why is this a a personally important matter for you? Well, I think when it comes to eating disorders, this is something that's been completely omitted um, from both mainstream media and mainstream science um, in relation to men. And as as a nutritionist, someone who prescribes nutrition plans and a personal trainer and, you know, the history of being a sports model, it's something I come across quite often um, where I speak with men or work with men who do have these issues. Um, bulimia is usually the biggest one which I tend to see in men. Mm. And I think it's just time that, you know, we're developing as a society and it's about time that we perhaps talk about these issues and say, okay, you know what? It's fine to be a male. It's fine to be a straight male and have, you know, bulimia, orthorexia, anorexia even. Um, we just can't go on any further, you know, um, ignoring this and keeping it as an elephant in the room. It's a lot more prevalent than I think a lot of people um, understand. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting because of the misrepresentation and the missing information conversation, I feel like there's probably a lot more shame. There's always shame around eating disorders, but it seems to me there could potentially be even more shame when it's not considered masculine, you know, when it's considered something yeah. that they shouldn't have. Completely. Completely. Yeah. I mean, it, it is defined sort of, you know, in people's minds, even as sort of a feminine, um, sort of a feminine disorder, I'd say. Um, I don't think I'd be wrong for saying that. And I think with guys, a lot of guys, although they won't admit it, do have sort of big egos. You know, you want to you wanna look good all the time as a male. And, um, you know, admitting that you suffer with eating disorders, sort of, I imagine a lot of men will sort of feel as though, you know, they're not man enough or not masculine enough um, by admitting it. So, you know, they suffer in silence and at the risk of sounding really hyperbolic, um, in my opinion, bulimia in particular for men, for men is, is a silent killer. 
because you know what over the long term you're constantly sort of overfeeding your body placing all this emphasis on food and it's not healthy you know mentally and definitely not physically as you know it is going to bring along you know a, ho a whole host of you know diseases diabetes etc obesity um, when you continue to sort of overfeed yourself and at the same time as well bulimia um, in particular it, it is a very silent killer as you know you can't it's not always visible whereas if someone's anorexic you can sort you can sort of you know after a certain point the signs are very clear and it's not exactly the same with bulimia and um, particularly in males where a lot of men who sort of suffer from it straight men i'm going to say um are those who tend to visit the gym very frequently so they're looking for muscle mass and i think the issue comes when they become very pedantic over what they're eating, and especially, especially as a nutritionist, I sort of, you know, I prescribe a lot of nutrition plans, and I'll notice sort of fluctuations um, in what a given person eats. And most of the time, someone will, for example, let's say he's called John, you know, he'll eat very steadily throughout the day, perhaps, and then on an evening, there's 10,000 calories in one sitting and the thing is he's not out with his friends or at the pub or at you know a celebration he's at home on his sofa eating this behind closed doors and I think there's something there that needs to sort of be addressed if you feel that you know you can't eat like that in public but in private you know you're, you're consuming that many calories um, it's it's an emotional thing I think. Absolutely. And it's emotionally devastating, too, especially, as you said, when people tend to suffer in silence and there's so much depression, anxiety, stress involved. Absolutely. So what are some of the signs and symptoms? I know you said it tends to be hidden in the male population and in general. And I think, as you said, bulimia is is very, very much hidden uh, because we don't always see there's not like a body type or size that is associated yeah. with it. How How might we notice signs either in ourselves or in a loved one well i think the biggest sign is when someone becomes really pedantic over what they're eating so when they're completely overemphasizing the importance of food um so with that if for example there's a person um who is you know completely eating healthy in public and then in private they sort of feel like, you know, they're eating um, junk food, but they feel like they have to hide it. So there's feelings of shame, perhaps, where, you know, they have to put on a front in public that they're, you know, really healthy. And then behind closed doors, you know, they, they're, that's when they're consuming all this junk. And then after it, perhaps the next day, they're back in the gym working out really, really hard to sort of try and feel better about themselves. Because it's not always, you know, a, a body issue. You know, sometimes I think everyone um, has sort of destructive tendencies. Um, I have them too from time to time where I sort of, I don't actually drink alcohol. So food will sort of be my own crutch, actually, where if I'm sort of going through a period of sort of, you know, a not so great period, I'll sort of rely on food. And it's not about the body. It's more about sort of you want to be in control. And it sounds really weird saying it out loud. But in your mind, it's sort of it's it's a sensible sort of plausible thing to do at the time. Um, so I think you really have to sort of you know be aware if someone has really pedantic tendencies over food. Um, if you find wrappers and and things like this do happen as well. If you find wrappers in bins, etc., um, 
it, it, obviously in your home. And, um, you know, there are, there are a whole host of things, I think, um, that you can look at. It, it's a case-by-case case sort of thing. It's a very individual thing, I think, especially in men, as, um, as it's just completely different. Everyone operates in a different way. So it's hard to sort of put things into boxes and say, okay, you know, this person has this, this, this. They're showing signs of this, this, this. They're bulimic. They're anorexia. Uh, they're anorexic, sorry. So it is pretty difficult. Um, I think you just have to really focus on if someone is really being pedantic over food you know if maybe they they're always avoiding social situations when it comes to food or they're they're being you know overtly healthy you know in public then i think uh, and it's not exactly the same in private then i think that's something that you need to sort of address perhaps really really good points and i love that you mentioned that you know these symptoms don't fit in particular boxes. And that's so important because I've heard so many people, and I know when I was going through eating disorders myself, you have a tendency to think, oh, I'm not I'm not sick enough to have a particular disease or I'm not yeah, thin yeah. enough or I'm not, you know, because there's not one, like you mentioned orthorexia. Would you just explain for people who aren't aware just briefly what that is? Yeah, so orthorexia, that's sort of a tendency for someone to sort of, be extremely healthy. So there's a complete focus on being extremely overtly healthy. Are we still online? We are. Yeah, we're here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that for a second there. Yeah, so it's an overemphasis on being healthy. Um, some of the def, it's, it's a really weird one with the definition of orthorexia, as I've read in places where people who have it tend to see themselves as better than other people. Um, <laughs> because oh, wow. they're able to eat really healthy. So maybe, you know, they'll only touch organic produce and, you know, it has to be completely pesticide three, locally grown, etc. And I find from my experience of working with a lot of people and myself even, that a lot of people, especially men who sort of go to the gym, etc., you know, who generally look in good shape um, from an outside um, aesthetic point point of view, um, that they'll hover between orthorexia and bulimia. Um, so they'll go through a phase where they're eating really, really healthy. And because they're sort of overemphasizing food, yeah. um, it tends to sort of just, it's not sustainable. So eventually they'll crash and they'll go into sort of a bulimic mode where they'll eat, you know, 10 to 20,000 calories um, in one sitting, which isn't great. And the thing is, if, if you're eating 10 to, 10 to 20,000 calories in one sitting and you feel sort of okay after it, then, you know, maybe you don't have an eating disorder, but if you're eating it, if you're eating, consuming those 10,000 to 20,000 calories in one sitting and after it, you're having those feelings of shame, you know, feeling horrible, feeling horrible about yourself, then I think that's when you need to sort of question and say, okay, you know, is, is that, do I have sort of a disorder? I think research and education is really important as there's a lot of information out there, um, which a lot of people probably aren't aware of. Very true. Very true. That's such a good point, too. And I think, you know, anorexia tends to lead to binge eating, too. As you mentioned, like the body can only take so much. The mind can only take so much. Yeah. It's all this yeah. intense pressure. And I love that you mentioned, you know, it's not like because people throw the word binge around all the time. We binge watch yeah. TV. Yeah. We, people will tell me they binged because they had an extra slice of pizza. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not a real <laughs> an actual binge, you know. And, and another thing is after a binge, if you can eat fairly normally afterwards and it's not you know like you said not a big emotional yeah. thing that's different that's like a big feast but if it's actually 
consumes you and then leads to unhealthy behaviors. Yeah, that's that's not good. Completely, that's not good. Completely. And I think definitely sort of male magazines. Um, I don't want to call out men's health in particular, but just magazines of that persuasion. They're sort of similar to female magazines in a way where they sort of they bring on the same results. So after people have sort of read it, they're sort of, you know, maybe they feel inspired at first because you see someone on the cover, they're in great shape. You read an interview with that about that person in, in the magazine and you're like, wow, they're so disciplined. Like, wow, I want to be just like that. And, and then you sort of, you set yourself up to fail when you're sort of following advice from someone who's been interviewed in a magazine, because a health magazine is never going to ask that person, okay, you know, do you have unhealthy tendencies? What sort of junk food do you eat? It always is going to, it's always going to focus on how healthy that person is, you know, the habits that that person has. So you never sort of really get to see the other side of the coin, which is why it's, I think it's really important not to put sort of people who you see in magazines on a pedestal or celebrities because, you know, you're, you are, as I said, only seeing that one side of the coin. Um, it's very rare for someone to sort of be completely um, practicing aestheticism even um, for a very long period of time. Food just shouldn't be, you know, the center of your universe, if you will. Absolutely. That is such a brilliant point. And you know, the perfectionism that we see and everything's, you know, photoshopped people are, it all exactly. has a, has a, you know, a mission to seem perfect. So it's so important. And I love that message. Uh, before I let you go, this has been so lovely. And by the way, everybody, please check out Ty's website. It's paleoceanic.com. That's P-A-L-E-O-C-E-A-N-I-C.com. I'll share the notes uh, or the website link in the follow-up blog post as well. But Ty, I would love to hear any advice that you would leave for somebody who is really struggling with an eating disorder, any type right now, what's one bit of advice you could offer to provide some hope? Okay, my advice would be don't be so hard on yourself. Some of the people who I've met who I believe are sort of the most disciplined people ever, after having a conversation with them, you know, they've revealed that, okay, I've suffered with sort of an eating disorder too. Um, I have those tendencies. I self-destruct. So you are not alone. I think that's the best, most important piece of information you can take is that you're never alone. Your role model could suffer with sort of an eating disorder. And obviously there's a scale, but, you know, they, they could suffer too. So just remember that you're not alone and, you know, you are strong enough to come through as a lot of people have come through from it. So just keep on going. It's not, you know, your life. There is an end. That would be my piece of advice. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Ty. Our next guest today is Kendra Tanner, who contributed a beautiful story called The Early Years for my new book, Embraceable. In the story, she explores her relationship with sexual pleasure and her body, how religion has influenced both, and what she learned early on, as well as this, you know, the journey she's been on since. Here's a little bit about her inspiring life today. Kendra now teaches women, guides them so they can live as their true you, empowering them to experience a life full of love, joy, and authentic self-expression. She's been on her own journey, including overcoming an eating disorder, embracing her femininity, and challenging the status quo of a childhood faith. She's learned that the core culprits of fear, shame, and vulnerability avoidance keeps us from accessing our true identity. So she helps others peel back these layers. I just love that. Connect with her if you want to on True You Journey. Um, 
actually, you can start your own true, true you journey at her website. It's thetrueyouproject.com. I'm thrilled to have you, Kendra. How are you doing today? I'm really good. I'm so honored and excited to be here. I, I just love... I just love your spirit. I love your heart. So thank you for including me in your work. Mutual. And, and thank you right back. I read your story again yesterday. It is so brave and poignant as I know your work tends to be. And I think it's one that so many people will relate to. I certainly do, you know, having the, the religious upbringing and all of the mixed messaging. And one thing that really struck me, it always just like jumped off the page, is you shared this experience about being pulled out of sex ed by your mother, who I'm sure had really good intentions. And I wonder if you could just share what the climate around sexuality was during your youth. Oh, wow. Okay. So I guess the, it, it just, it, I guess the climate was that it was supposed to be spoken about, it was sacred. I, I guess sacred comes to word because it was reserved for marriage, right? Um, but, and also sacred in that it was meant to be spoken about with your parents and that was it. Wow. And right. So, so it's like family unit, um, but not publicly. Because, and and my, yeah, so I don't know, ask some more questions there, and I'm happy to go where you want to go with that. Yeah, no, that's that's so interesting. And I think one thing that strikes me about that is that you said talking about sex with your family, with your parents, which probably wasn't the most comfortable thing, or at least the things that you were learning. I know that you, was it a class that you took? Um, you know, you made a, a pretty public commitment to save yourself for marriage and that kind of thing. So what yeah. what were those conversations like? Like, did you, did knowing that you were supposed to only talk to your parents help you then talk to them? Or what were the no. kind of, okay. <laughs> that's, that's what <laughs> of I wondered. Not. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. And, you know, God bless my mom. Like, she did the best that she could. And we've spoken about this since. And, you know, her, I think you, um, I think you wrote about this in your book as well. It's that, you know, like our parents did the best that they could and from her generation um you know and speaking with her her parents she's like you know Kendra the conversations we had that was more than I had with my mom right so I forget exactly how it went but you know her mom was like you know the two second birds and the bees (laughs) version and my mom did her best to expand on that and I guess the thing that I found uncomfortable was that it was a very technical, it was like clinical, right? It was like penis and vagina. And, and I think I mentioned this in the story too, like other friends, at least they had like Aunt Flo visiting monthly. Like mine was my menstrual cycle. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. And, and so because it was so clinical, it was hard to relate to, I suppose. Um, And, and I, I know I, I hear, I listen to people talking, you know, in your work as well. Like, there's no shame in talking about your vagina is your vagina is your vagina. Do you know what I mean? Like, but I suppose at 10 and 11 and 12, part of what was going on um, separately from my budding sexuality was just this strong sense of feeling different from people. And there was enough differences that I saw between me and other people that having to talk about a vagina as opposed to like your private parts, like that was more shame for me. Mm. 
I could see that. Yeah, and feeling different on top of all the other awkwardness couldn't couldn't have made things easier for sure. And it's not very relatable when it comes across as clinical. I think you know it's not like a because the problem is we have one conversation or one class. It's not like this ongoing thing throughout our lives. It tends yeah. to happen when we're already feeling really uncomfortable. So I could I could see that for sure. And how did all of that then affect your relationships or interest in relationship with boys. I know you wrote about that as well. Um, so with guys, it was, so I don't, I can't remember if I put this in the book, but there was a pattern that was developing where the guys that I was interested in, they were not, they were not reciprocating. So they weren't interested back. Okay. And then the guys that I was like, eh, they'd be interested in me, right? They'd be pursuing me, asking me out, let's go kiss in the stairwell, <laughs> you know, all that good stuff. Um, let's talk after school. And because it, I guess I just, I use the word settled and this sounds awful. And like, if any guy I ever dated is listening, like, I mean, this in the nicest possible way, but it, it was, I guess, a disconnection from my authentic self is that I wasn't, I wasn't, um, willing, I suppose, to kind of like stick it out for a guy where the match felt right. And so I just kind of went with the guys who presented themselves thinking, well, at least like there's somebody, right? <laughs> um, and I suppose because of that, on one hand, there wasn't a very strong sexual attraction to them. And maybe that saved me in one way, right? Because um, I wasn't I, I didn't want to have sex with them because I wasn't actually really wanting to like be with them. It was more of the idea of having a boyfriend that was attractive. Um, so I didn't have to like resist strong urges um, when I was in high school. And so I guess I, I'm just like saying this out loud for the first time. I guess that was a good thing. <laughs> um, but at the same time, they would be curious and they would want to go places that I wasn't willing to go. And so I just was like, no, you know, like there's just like no discussion of it because of that ingrained, like you don't even like explore. And then when I was older, it was, then I was curious and I, and it was like this tug of war of like, yes, I want to try this. I want to explore. Um, but like, no, I have to just say no. And I'd be out at a bar and, and like, I, I swear this has happened. Like people, like a guy would come up to me and you can just kind of tell you get that vibe and you could tell you thought I was good looking or cute or like my ass or whatever, and was just trying to get me in bed. And it was just like, you know what, like we're not having sex. So just go away. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. That is so interesting. And I think it's really interesting that you basically, in many ways, avoided the temptation that you learned was a sin, you know, which I I learned that too. I mean, I learned that masturbation is a sin, but boys can't help it. Like, that's what I learned when I was really little. Interesting. Wow. And that I could never touch down there. I'd go to hell and all that stuff. So all those things, they kind of get ingrained in us. So even, you know, and I I shared this in my story in the book, but it's interesting to me how that that shame can linger and be part of the fabric of our being as an adult and we may not even realize it and i wonder have you had because i know that you were so brave in writing this story when you still we're all on a journey but it seemed that you felt even more so that you know you're still on this path and you're still exploring this and some of this is new exploration for you as far as looking back and making all these connections have you had in the process of both writing the story and kind of recent discoveries and 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 stuff like that some epiphanies of you know shame or other 
kinds of negativity that you carried from your your youth and some of those negative notions that you had learned? Yeah, definitely. And so I'll just kind of back up to about a year ago, which is around the time that we first met. Um, so I was aware at the time that, um, so you mentioned I had an eating disorder. And so my eating disorder, I, I'm aware that there is an overlap between that and my relationship to sex and my relationship to money. And I think those two things like food, sex, and money, um, I would imagine if you, anyone listening, if you think about it, you can probably draw a lot of parallels for yourself in your life. Um, and I would say a year ago, I knew that it was like, okay, this is going to have to be stared at one day, <laughs> right? Like, um, because it's there, it was like rearing its ugly head. Um, but I wasn't, I, I guess, you know, to your credit, um, August, like sometimes it feels like there's not a platform that feels safe to be able to explore it. And I use that word safe because for me, sex and safety, like, that is a huge part of it for me. Like, do I feel safe enough? Um, because it is your most vulnerable self, you know? Mm -hmm. And so to not, not really have having found a place to explore where I felt like I wasn't going to be like grossed out or turn like red in the cheeks or just be like, wow, that's way too raunchy for me or that kind of stuff. And, um, and so I think that has prevented me from exploring it some more. And I'll be honest, like I still am tiptoeing, <laughs> but I feel like writing this story was a piece of that. Like it, it helped me to connect to well, what is my truth of my story that happened. And um, just to be able to express that and have some self-expression around a part of me that I've kept hidden and um, have been unsure about, like that was like a beautiful first step. Mm, that is so beautiful. And I hope that people who are listening or who read the book do consider, you know, they don't have to share their story so publicly, but recognizing it. And I know that you really encourage people to look into their lives, not just their sex lives and their sexuality, but in general, just to look within and to really ask ourselves questions and become self-aware. I think that's so important, whether it's, you know, journaling about it or talking to a friend or a therapist even or whoever, just being able to really go through that and figure out, you know, where am I? What have I carried from my earlier life? And and how has it made me who I am? And what can I do about that? I want to read a really short little excerpt here because I think it's really beautiful and ties into this topic of uh, eating disorders as well. In your story, you wrote that, to heal from bulimia, I had to accept all of me, including my sexuality. I'd had to realize that sex is not bad in the same way I had to learn that fat is not bad. I had to recognize the judgments that I was placing on sex and myself as a sexual being, and I had to learn to let go of expectations. I just thought that was really, really poignant. Could you speak a little bit more? You mentioned the parallel relationship between our relationships with food and sexuality and, and money as well. But when it came to the eating disorder, what were some of the ways that you feel like uh, the bulimia either fueled the, you know, sexual shame or sexual shame kind of fueled the bulimia? Oh, um, okay. Let me think about this one for a second. It's complex. Um, yeah, it is complex. Um, I think I could probably answer, get to that answer. I just want to, I'm going to answer it in a slightly different way. I'm going to just draw some parallel with behaviors to begin with, because w one of the things with bulimia is this like binge purge thing, right? Or this deprive indulge. And I was very much in that space with sex, right? So um, when I was, 
when I was single. Um, so to talk about masturbation, and I honestly cannot believe I'm doing this. On <laughs> I am cheering for you. You have no idea. Video, like, but hey, I want to applaud. Cool, right? It's a, it's a year later from a year ago. It's amazing. Um, so when I was when I was single in my late twenties, um, I would. I would masturbate, but I would go through this like binge purge with it, right? It's like, so for I'd go for periods of time where I was like, no, 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 this is bad. This is bad. Like, you can't do this. Like, what is God going to think? Like, and stupid ideas, like, are you going to get pregnant? You, do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, um, like, not really, but somehow it was just like all this fear, this massive fear tied up with it. Um, but then as if you've ever deprived yourself of, like your desires, they, you then indulge, right? So then I'd go through periods of like masturbating, like all the time, like every night or, you know, just like in random times of the day or whatever. And so I think that was like, that to me, like now I, I put the words to say, like, find what's nourishing and pleasurable for you and like go for that, whether it has to do with food or money or sex or whatever. But I, I did not have that, um, guidepost at the time and so it was just this massive um conflict of trying to stay away from something i thought i wasn't supposed to be doing but yet having the desire for it and indulging in it that is a really fascinating parallel i bet people can find those in their own lives i do think that you know how we feel about food says so much about how we feel about the world and our bodies and it all ties into our sexuality for sure. And you mentioned something there that I would love to hear more about. You said that you were concerned about what God would think. And one of the reasons I knew straight away that you would be a great fit for this book is because you are Christian and you are talking about your sexuality and you're working to embrace it. And I think there's a really, one of the many missing conversations is that it's not that religion and sexuality are these separate entities that just can't pair well together and there's no synergy, which is kind of the impression that we have. And I know that religious shame pushes a lot of people away from their religions, their faith, their spirituality. And in your case, you have worked to transform that relationship. And I wondered if you could speak to that, how differently or how did you get to that place of maintaining spirituality and separating that from all of the religious shame that you had learned early on? Yeah, I think, um, so I'd say the point of, of God and, um, what Christ, the, the, at the core of Christianity is the complete antithesis of shame and fear. <laughs> and unfortunately, shame, messages of shame and fear and come, um, get put out through like religious institutions because it tries to make it certain. And Renee Brown talks about this and I loved what she said about like religious is supposed religion is supposed to be about mystery, right? And yet it, it gets um, forced into like these boxes. And so I think the messages that I got about sex um, that were shameful and created a lot of fear for me, um, now I can realize, you know what, like that was human error, but that isn't God's error. Like that was how it got communicated because man is faulty. And at the end of the day, what what does God have for me? It's love and he offers truth. And so if I can find the love um, in a situation, then that brings me back to center and that brings me back to um like the core of who I am and connection with God and all that kind of stuff. And I can put, and so if I can find the love in terms of 
my relationship with myself and my relationship with my sexuality and my relationship with my husband and sex, then that, um, that puts me in a good place. Mm, beautifully said. And you talk about your husband a little bit, your relationship in a really positive way. It sounds like uh, he's been supportive and you've been working together though. And I, I won't ask you to share any, you know, details that you don't want to, of course, but do you feel like uh, your relationship with him has been benefiting through this journey? And could you speak to also what it's been like to have this growth over this past year, especially? Um, what What is his take on it all? Yeah. Um, so I'll back up a little bit because it was interesting when we first met, that's when, so this is even more interesting. When I was recovering from bulimia, I went to see a therapist once and that was it. And like, I didn't have any therapy or anything. And it wasn't until we got together and we, um, the, the sex thing came up and I realized that I was once again, um, so maybe this answers an earlier question as well, but I was once again having sex with him because I wanted to keep him. Mm. And, and I think that that is a pattern that can relate to the, was entangled with the bulimia of wanting the love and wanting the acceptance. And so then giving a different version of myself to the world to get that and, and moving away from what was actually true for me. And so I realized that I was once again sleeping with him because I wanted to keep him. And I, and I said this to him, I said, I need to go see a therapist. <laughs> so that's what brought me to see a therapist. I was starting out my uh, sex life. Good for you. So, um, because I didn't even realize that that was disordered, right? So I went to see a therapist and she was also um, of the Christian faith. And she really helped me to see that God is love. So God isn't shaming you. Like if you love this person and God is love, um, perhaps look at some of what the Bible teaches and what you've heard a little bit differently. Um, so that was however many years ago, seven or eight years ago now. And to fast forward to now, there's what comes up for me the most is that it's hard to erase the past in a sexual relationship. And I think this is probably the point of like the no sex before marriage thing like this is probably the point of it is that so when we were first together there was a lot of confusion like I didn't know what I was doing why I was sleeping with him realized oh my god I'm doing this because it's like old patterns I gotta go get help um that was that left a bad memory and a taste for him right so now like throughout our whole sexual relationship he's like does she you know is she really into this am I really gonna pleasure her um it just left a lot of questions, right? And so we've had to really work through to, and I've had to work through to say, when I can come to acceptance and when I can surrender and I can let go, let go of control in the bedroom and control in the rest of my life, then he's able to respond to me more. And then the relation, the sexual relationship works smoother. So I've had to apply the same concepts that I've had to apply to the rest of my life of like letting go and finding love and all that kind of stuff to the bedroom as well. Mm, I love that. And again, it's about your whole mission about truth and living an authentic life. Because when we're trying to please other people, then how do we even know what we want? You know, what are exactly. our, our own desires? And I love that you mentioned the saving yourself for marriage thing, because I think that, you know, I, I totally respect it as a choice. And I know that some people, uh, you know, it, 
feel that it's used as a control mechanism. And again, I think that that's a, a man-made institutionalized idea when it's something that, especially for, for girls, you know, when they're, when they're taught that it's something that perhaps they quote, give to a guy that's not in the Bible anywhere. And there's some very mm-hmm. sensual parts of the Bible I know as well. Um, but has your view of, of that changed at all as far as saving yourself for marriage? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I ask myself, like, what would I tell my kids, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I don't have kids yet, but um, when, you know, we're hoping to. And the, how do you train that, or not train, right? How do you let them become themselves and their most most authentic self, especially in this area? And I'll have to say, like, I feel like part of me, the jury's still out because I, I still feel conflicted um, about, like... Uh, there being a potentially like hard and fast rule, right? Um, that of, of sort of saving yourself. And, but I guess where I'm, where I'm at it today, like if I think back to when I first met my husband, if I was like super grounded in who I was and I knew from the bottom of my heart because it was the most authentic reflection of me that I really, really wanted to wait until we were married and I, and I had legitimate, authentic reasons for me, then I feel like the conversations that we would have had about when to have sex, do we have sex and all that kind of stuff, they would have been completely different, right? And I would have been able to express my truth to him. He may have had a different opinions, but we would have been dialoguing about it, again, from that place of like connection and, and love and truth. But instead, because I was disconnected from what I actually believed about sex and thought about sex because I was so disconnected from my own sexuality. I was still in the mode of following the rules. Like all I, like the only thing that I had to hang on to was like, wait until you're married, wait until you're married, wait until you're married. And so that comes out in a conversation. And so people can see through your bullshit, you know? (laughs) Um, And to be fair, he saw through my bullshit. He's like, what do you really want? What do you really believe? And I couldn't answer it. Um, and, and so I think that's what I would say is that I think, I think, you know, from a, that's what I would say to my kids is to say, look, kids, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. you got to figure out what you want. Like, what do you, what do you want for yourself and for your future marriage and for your relationship with God? And, and like go there for answers as opposed to like following the rules that you hear around you. I love that because the world will fill in the gaps. And if we don't, and it's the same thing with our bodies. If we let the world tell us how to feel about our bodies, we're probably not going to feel so good, you know, totally. um, unfortunately. So these conversations are are super important. I would love to hear any advice that you have for others. I feel like your your whole story is full of, it's your nature and your talent and your gift, I think, to inspire others. And your story is full of these nuggets of wisdom that almost, I think, innately comes out of you as, here's what I went through. Here's how it could help you. You have that just built into you. And I know there's a lot that you could say and, and share, but specifically for people who are struggling to embrace their sexuality uh, and their bodies in that kind of, you know, disordered way, what would you say to them that might give some hope? Yeah. Um, first of all, thank you. I'll receive your, <laughs> your, um, your gift of how wisdom comes out. I don't always see it that way. So thank you. Um, I guess, 
I think the first thing is helpful is to, is to know where you're coming from, right? And to really kind of look at your past. Um, I think I for on the on the sex front, I really blocked that for a while because it it just felt like there was no wiggle room. Like, and so it was just, this is the way it is. And and what I'm learning now is to really look back and see what were the messages. And part of it has been contributing to your book, August. You know, it's it's really forced me to look at that um, and say, well, what, what messages did you receive? And then to understand, like, how are you then internalizing that? And I think that's where, you know, my story of, like, when I first met my husband, like, I was internalizing everything that I learned by then, um, doing that, like either all in or all out. Right. And so it was like, yes, we're having sex. No, we're not having sex. Yes, we're having sex. No, we're not having sex. And, and to see how that really can play out and into behaviors and patterns and that kind of stuff. And, and if something doesn't feel right, like it doesn't feel right for a reason. Um, and so I think just to acknowledge that and accept it, like that's like a great first step and you don't have to have the answer yet, but just to just kind of put your hand in, hands up and say, mm, I don't know, I think there's more. Um, so I'd, I'd say that. And then just like, it's okay to question it because if you, I, I just keep coming back to the idea of truth, like just keep asking for the truth because what you might believe even to be the truth, like it can be such a habit that you think it is, but maybe there's a, a bigger, like my friend, Lynn, a co-creator calls it, the capital T truth, right? Like, like that ultimate absolute truth. And if you can find that, then that is going to help you then to make those integral decisions for yourself. And um, so I think, yeah, like the acceptance, the love, the truth, go after that and then, and then decide. Beautiful. Thanks, Kendra. To learn more about her wonderful work, remember to check out her website. That's thetrueyouproject.com. Now for some Q&A with a listener. This email came from Raylin. Raylin wrote this. Hi, August and Dr. Megan. I've struggled with eating disorders off and on for years, and I'm currently bulimic. I know I should get help and tell my boyfriend, but I've been feeling helpless and scared. I probably will do both, but need to get ready first, if that makes sense. My question for you is this. Is it normal for my sex drive to change dramatically with my illness? When it flares up, my sex drive either goes away completely or revs up really high. If so, do you have any tips for normalizing it? Thank you both for the inspiration you bring. I've already benefit, have been a lurker for months, and thought you should know, Raylan. Thank you, Raylan. That is so sweet. I'm so glad you enjoy the show. And your question is so important and as you know from listening to the show, I relate to the eating disorder struggle and we're soul sisters for that reason. I'm, I'm solidarity sending that to you. You know, the first thing that strikes me is what you said about readiness. I remember feeling so not ready to heal. And I learned that sometimes you need to be working when you're not ready. <laughs> Just dive in, take a step because it's the self-care and those proactive steps that help get you ready. So it's so important to know. I mean, you are, I don't have to meet you to know, are gorgeous and extraordinary, brilliant, beautiful, and capable and brave. You reached out like this. That tells me eons. That's huge, huge, huge. So really keep that in mind. I think, you know, I know that fear and that hopelessness really, really well. And I think it's also really important to know that you can get through it, but you have to want 
to heal, even when you're scared of the repercussions, because that's how eating disorders go, right? You're afraid that if you heal, you'll then be, quote, fat, a failure, ugly, you know, whatever it is, fill in the blank. And there's all these layers under that. The deep issues you don't even know sometimes are underneath those. So just believing, because I think there's so much information out there that suggests that we can't heal from these illnesses, and we can. You absolutely can. And if you don't believe it, then you won't. So the most important thing I think you can do now before addressing anything between the sheets. That's not to say that you can't have fun between the sheets. Meanwhile, but first, you got to take care of you always with all of your might, whatever that means. And when it feels hard, it's especially important. I definitely relate to those sex drive changes. I actually am laughing a little bit because I'm remembering one time when I was in the middle of getting busy and fell asleep, like in the middle. I was struggling with anorexia, which of course, is not a, a funny disease. But looking back, you can see these moments of, wow, I was so removed from myself. And to see how far you've come. Um, and I know that you will get there too. But I remember feeling like I had uh, no desire for sex at all. I would just sort of try to keep up appearances. So my boyfriend at the time, I, I would try and then I would sometimes end up crying. I think because I was so desperately wanting to feel something, anything besides this misery that I was in. And as I began to heal, sex became not only pleasurable, but medicinal. It took on this whole new meaning for me. And I had to really take initial steps before I could get to the point where I could really embrace my body and full self. And once you get past that real struggle beginning part, which there'll be many of those beginnings, that's part of healing. You have these bumps along the way, but then you get up for air and that's when you can do the real work that's really empowering. And for me, that was all about embracing my sexuality. So it sounds like you already have that as a goal. If you're not already, you may have already em embraced much of your sexuality, but I can't even tell you the difference it's going to make to finally feel comfortable with yourself, to move into this place of thriving. There is this magical land waiting for you, I swear to you. And it's something you cannot imagine until you get there. So I really hope that you do take those steps, whatever that is. Take a step immediately take one every day take it day at a time but something in a nurturing direction for me when I was kind of in the you know because it takes it's not like you suddenly heal it's a process and I would say it probably took about 10 years for me to really move past fully the eating disorder and all of the kind of um, complications surrounding it but along that path, I would hit these bumps and it really helped me to either check in with my therapist or there were some times I would get back into therapy. If that's an option for you, I think it's great. I also found creative work to be hugely helpful, hugely, hugely. I couldn't believe it. I went from, I had enjoyed playing guitar and singing and stuff. And I was in this folk rock group called Propinquity back in Minnesota in high school. And I had fun with that. But my voice did not come out. I'm talking literally. Like my voice came out so much louder and stronger when I just let my emotions pour out of me when I was in those dark times. And I wrote songs for the first time in years. I uh, took an acting class, which was so therapeutic. I think sometimes expressing ourselves through the arts can really help because it allows us to address these emotions that we aren't really comfortable or maybe at all comfortable 
addressing or maybe we kind of are protecting ourselves from, if that makes sense, you know, getting deeper underneath that can be huge. I know this isn't probably exactly the kind of advice you were hoping for, but I know that it's what I would have wanted to hear and what would have helped me. And I hope it helps you somewhat. I don't need to know you, as I mentioned, to know how valuable you are and how much you deserve freedom from the dark roller coaster that you've been riding. I promise you, I promise you there's hope. I also asked Dr. Megan to respond to your lovely question. And here's what she had to say. Raylan, I can't thank you enough for asking this question. Um, because I think that so many women struggle with eating, um, and sometimes formerly eating disorders, uh, bulimia or anorexia and the impact that that has on, uh, self-esteem, body image, sexuality. Um, so the one thing I really take away from your question is not only knowing and at the deepest levels of your own being, about telling your boyfriend, um, but recognizing that help is absolutely available. You are not alone. And I think sometimes when we suffer in silence, there's just a compounding impact of a feeling of shame. Um, and I think that telling your boyfriend um, and seeking help through communities, through uh, therapy is such a huge and important step on behalf of yourself uh, and your well-being. Because you know, around eating is essential, essentially around a sense of self, uh, body image, and, you know, in a sense, of course, that impacts uh, sexual drive libido. Um, first of all, for physiological reasons, um, in terms of the endocrine sort of uh, sequelae of, you know, binging, purging, or depriving or restricting oneself. But I think most importantly, it's, it's to recognize that, uh, you know, the foundation of arousal is relaxation, that, that, that feeling good in your body and with your partner and the ability to sort of let go. And so, you know, when you ask that question of how to normalize it, it's just like to, I think first and foremost and hugely to, uh, not hold it as a secret, right? To not feel so alone, so isolated, sort of stuck in your own experience. And by sharing alone, I think that will feel like a big exhale, getting the support that you need. Um, and then from there, it's just like how in this moment, um, sort of compassion and acceptance. Right now, this moment, this is my body. I was at Kerpala once and there was an exercise around a bunch of women walking around. It was like, I love my belly. I love my butt. And I can tell you those women were all shapes and sizes. And I'm telling you, even size zero often doesn't love their belly and their butt. I mean, it's such an unfortunate consequence of our culture. Um, and so it's like, love this strong body you're in and focus on your health. And that will breathe that sense of want and desire. So, you know, I would really encourage you to sort of walk around and being like in the mirror or listening to your favorite song. I love my belly. I love my butt. Because once you let go of the resistance, uh, the parts that feel toxic, the parts that feel hard to talk about, you're actually welcoming new energy to come in and experience. And even from an endocrine perspective, you know, the role of cortisol, which is stress, um, around, you know, 
feeling like, quote unquote, this is my problem. This is my uh, situation. So it's like when you can let that go from even an endocrine, much less a um, spiritual mindfulness energy perspective, you're actually welcoming an opportunity to know your body, be uh, embrace what's possible in terms of your own pleasure and what you can experience with your partner. Um, and, you know, just allow yourself that opportunity. That's the thing I really want and, and welcome most for you. And I totally want to hear how it goes. I loved that. Thank you, Dr. Megan. Relaxation and self-care, so important. I also liked what she said about uh, your endocrine system and simply the nutrients when you're missing, uh, you know, stable nutrition. If you're not eating normal meals and normal is this weird word when you have an eating disorder or even if you don't, we live in a really weird food culture. But if you're not in a place where you are, your body is getting nourishment and keeping that nourishment inside, then you're not going to have the circulation and the endorphins and the glucose, the energy, all of the things that make your body work really well and sexually. So that's going to be huge. And I, I just love that message of, you know, take care of yourself first and the sex will take care of itself after. That's really good message for all of us, I think, to learn from. If you'd like to learn more from Dr. Megan, I highly recommend her Rekindle Desire Get Your Sexy Back program. I don't get a kickback from this. This is just something I really believe in. And she's offering a 30% discount for Girl Boner listeners only. To get that, go to greatlifegreatsex.com backslash girlboner and sign up. It's right there. For 30% off, you get the audio program and you also get this wonderful workbook. And I don't think it's just for people who are feeling like they're lacking desire. I personally have gone through this workbook and it is really powerful, I think, as an exploration and just a fun way to dig deeper into your own intimate life. So check that out. You can also follow Dr. Megan on Twitter at Megan Fleming PhD. You can find me easily there by searching for the hashtag girlboner. My profile should pop right up. For links to my books, including Embraceable, to my blog, and to all things Girl Boner, as well as extras for many of the episodes, I'm doing a follow-up blog post for this one especially. Visit my website, augustmclaughlin.com. My last name is MC Laugh, L-A-U-G-H-L-I-N. There you can subscribe for my blog and also to my mailing list where you can get really occasional updates on exciting stuff. If you're digging Girl Boner Radio, be sure to subscribe on iTunes so you will never miss a beat. While you're there, I would so appreciate a rating and simple review. Thank you so much for listening, everyone, and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.